AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, it's Lale here. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give a heads up that we're doing another travel FAQ in a few weeks' time. So, if you have a burning question about travel right now, which I suspect quite a few people do, send us an Instagram DM either at at women who travel, at Lale Hannah, or at Oh Hey There Mare, or email us at women who travel at cntraveler.com. Thanks a lot. This is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Bala Arakoglu. Hello! In this week's episode, we're chatting with Brooklyn-based author Yaa Jesse, whose first novel, Homegoing, which charts the stories of two family bloodlines beginning in 18th century Ghana and ending in the present day, won a slew of awards, including the Penn Hemingway in 2017. It's a book we've talked about on the podcast before, and we've been lucky enough to spend the past few days absorbed in her second novel, Transcendent Kingdom, a deeply layered story about a Ghanaian family living in Alabama. It's out this week, and we are so excited to talk about it. Thanks for joining us, yeah. Thank you for having me. So to kick things off, I'm going to ask a question that I'm sure you're still probably trying to figure out the answer to, but both of us loved Homegoing very much and have talked about it, as we said on the podcast before. And to me, Homegoing almost felt like a collection of short stories that were threaded together, whereas Transcendent Kingdom mostly stays with the same characters and places throughout. How did those writing processes differ for you? Yeah, I think the process for Homegoing was so much more tight in that I almost approached it kind of mathematically. I knew that I wanted to cover a certain amount of years. And to do that, I kind of broke down how many years within each character's life would take me from 18th century Ghana to present day America. And so it had all of these constraints that made the writing process really just more kind of formalized, I think, than Transcendent Kingdom, which is really loose. As you said, it stays with one character for the entirety of the novel. And at first I found it really kind of intimidating to spend so much time with a single person in a single place. it felt like too much freedom, too much looseness. But the the longer I spent with this character, Gifty, um, the, the longer I kind of allowed myself to burrow into the nooks and crannies of her consciousness, the, the better it felt. 
So I think of it as like just stretching a different muscle than the muscle that I used for home going, but um, no less difficult and no easier. Was there a sort of definitive moment where you felt like you clicked with Gifty and that you were like, oh, I think I know her? Mm, I think I kind of knew her really from the beginning. So part of the genesis for this book was a short story that I had written um, several years ago. Actually, after I set down a first draft of Homegoing, I turned to this short story and it felt really different and exciting to be writing in a different voice than the one I had spent um, years working on with Homegoing. And so when I started this new novel, I thought maybe I could return to that voice that I really loved and it was gifty. Um, So I think I kind of knew her pretty intimately from the beginning, though the thing that took me the longest to kind of work my way into was structure. Again, that looseness, like how to how to capture all of her thoughts or contain all of her thoughts. Um, But in terms of her as a person, she felt pretty clear to me. I feel like movement through time and physical geographical movement are such huge parts of both of the novels that you've put out. What is it that keeps your characters moving and traveling when you're writing? Well, place is so important to me as a person. Just given my own like family background, I immigrated to America when I was really young, when I was two. Um, and then even within America, we moved around a lot. Um, Ohio, Illinois, Tennessee, Alabama. Um, and I was really aware, even from a very young age, that place really deeply shapes who we are and what we think and Um, our cultures, our identities. Um, I would always do these little thought experiments where I would think, you know, if I had stayed in Ghana, I'd be one person. If I'd stayed in Ohio, I'd be this completely different person. And, And so I always want to kind of capture the nuances of a place when I'm writing because place is so important to me. You know, you moved at a very young age. Those early memories you have as a child are so shaped by the stories that your parents tell you about that time. What are those early memories of Ghana like and how much do you think of it has been informed by what your family has told you against like what you remember? It's all been shaped by what my family has told me. I don't remember any of it um, because I left when I was so young. I left when I was two and Many of the stories that I remember that I remember hearing have to do with my older brother, who was five when when we left, and you know stories about him like getting in a in the front seat of a car and pretending to drive away or um, things like that. But I don't, you know, weirdly, I feel like I don't really feature <laughs> that much in the in the stories about our time in Ghana. <laughs> Ghana and your character's relationship to Ghana have featured pretty prominently, very, very prominently in both of your books. How do you think your own relationship with the country has evolved throughout your writing process? I think with Homegoing, it felt almost like an academic relationship to both the writing and the researching. I The book started as a research trip to Ghana, um, which was only the second time that I had gone um, since leaving. And that trip was really fruitful for many reasons. 
most of all because I got the opportunity to travel to the Cape Coast Castle, um, which became incredibly formative for the book. But I think it was also the time when I got to um, spend an extended amount of time with aunts and uncles and cousins and and I, I hadn't really ever had that opportunity before. And so I think that trip when I was 20 was the beginning of a different kind of relationship to the place. Like it was no longer the place that my family was from that I didn't really know at all. It got to be the place that I was understanding on my own terms, which was really great. And the more I write about it, you know, when I was younger, when I first started writing, I very rarely set anything in Ghana. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I didn't feel like I had any, um, ownership is not the right word, but something similar to ownership. Like I just felt like it wasn't mine to write about or that I wouldn't do it justice as a kind of diasporic Ghanaian, someone who had not um, grown up and, and lived on the soil and kind of knew it intimately. But the more I've written about it, particularly in Transcendent Kingdom with a character who similarly does not have like a steady relationship to the place, I think the more it's allowed me to kind of explore my feelings about being from a place that I so rarely see. I imagine it must have been quite sort of strange when you first arrived in Ghana on that research trip to kind of wrestle with the idea of whether you were there as a researcher or whether you were there to spend time with family like it almost sounds like you were kind of had two hats that you were alternating between yeah it's true I was trying to do both I was trying to get to know my family um, and trying to work on this book and I was also so young to be attempting to take on a research project like this that I think that added like an extra layer of intimidation to it but it was really rich on every front. Like, I think it was um, just a particularly moving experience to get to spend that amount of time. Yeah, again, just like developing my own sense of this this place that was home. What are some of the experiences that have stayed with you? Oh, the biggest one by far was the trip to the Cape Coast Castle. I hadn't actually intended to go there, ironically enough. I had gotten to Ghana and my initial idea, um, because it was my project proposal for this fellowship that I had gotten to do the research, um, was to travel to my mom's hometown, which is in the central region of Ghana, um, so not too far from not too far from Cape Coast, and just to see if anything came up for me but nothing was coming up for me. And I had started to feel like I was wasting everybody's time and uh, wasting all this money that I had been given. And then my friend Stefan came to visit and he really wanted to go see the Cape Coast Castle. Um, And I had never been there before. And it was while on this tour of the castle that I started to hear details about the slave trade that I had never considered before and had never heard before primarily the fact that the British soldiers who used to live and work in the castle would sometimes marry the local women. And immediately I thought, what did these women know about what was going on underneath in these dungeons? Um, Surely they weren't completely oblivious. And what does that feel like to be living above your countrymen? Though country was not exactly the same um, as it is today. But what did that feel like? Um, and so that was that was a really it's the only time I think in my writing life that I've felt anything akin to like a stroke of inspiration. Like it felt so visceral that I wanted to to spend more time thinking about this place and writing about this place. 
yeah, so that was probably the, the most formative experience in Ghana. Life doesn't come with an instruction manual, but the Life Kit podcast gets you pretty close. Whether we're helping you tackle life-altering questions or just your everyday pickles, we've got deeply human solutions to your deeply human problems. Listen now to the Life Kit podcast from NPR. We've actually talked a lot about imposter syndrome on the podcast, and I would love to hear about how you were feeling when you were in your mom's hometown, feeling like you were wasting other people's time and money, which you obviously were gifted, are gifted and got the fellowship. Um, What was going through your head at that moment? (laughs) It was the first time I had applied for a research fellowship. Um, I think it was like, it's a fellowship that my undergrad, Stanford, gives to sophomore students um, or rising juniors to complete a research project between sophomore and junior years. It's called the Chapelugi. And I think at the time it was like $5,200, which is not a small amount of money for a 19-year-old, particularly a 19-year-old who had grown up like I had grown up. And so I was like holding this huge sum of money in my hands. And I just felt paralyzed with fear that I wouldn't actually complete the thing that I said that I was going to do. And I'd always been a pretty confident person, a confident writer. Like I I believed in myself and believed that I could do what I said I was going to do um, and knew that I would write a book eventually. I just didn't know if it was going to be the book that I had outlined in my proposal. But plenty of people got that fellowship and did absolutely nothing with it. So um, it's not as though if I had like stayed and like gone to the beach, it would have been completely wasted. But I didn't know that at the time. I was very studious. (laughs) How different was that outline to the finished result? Completely different. There's like nothing at all that remains from from that (laughs) project outline. Not a single line of it made it into the into the book. You know, obviously we're talking about the research that you were doing for Homegoing, but when you think about Transcendent Kingdom, you spent time in Huntsville growing up, which is where some of the new book is set. Did you find yourself returning for the same type of research that you did for Homegoing for this new book? And I guess the second part of that question is, do you feel like traveling is a required part of creating that sense of place when you're setting up a book? Well, my family is still in Huntsville, so um, that always gives me an excuse to go back. Um, And I I go back usually at least once a year, though never, even with this book, I don't think I was going back with the explicit desire to to research the book. Um, I think in part because of the years that Gifty's life takes place in Ghana, or in Huntsville rather, I didn't feel like I needed to go intensely research because she was a child when she lived in Huntsville. And so it felt like fine for her memories of the place to be fuzzy or not like incredibly specific. But I do think it's really, really a boon when you get the chance to travel to a place that you want to write about um, and do research. I think the, the just kind of like the lived experience of walking through a place, smelling the smells, like observing things that you might not get out of a textbook or out of a historical text or um, even images. Um, There's something about being there for yourself, taking notes and trying to get all of those sensory 
those sensory details about the place that you're trying to capture in writing. How are you wrestling with that kind of inability to move around and be in new or familiar spaces or places that you might want to write about in the future or explore in some way? You know, I think in part because I'm between things or rather because I'm getting ready to launch a book, I haven't really been as inclined to start something new in such a way that I would feel like I needed to go do research for it, which means that this period during the pandemic, I've been fine kind of being um, confined to my house. And I, I think I'm also weirdly like uniquely um, suited to a quarantine lifestyle and that I already worked from home and I already like read all day, like the things that, that I already baked bread, like the things that people have been doing in this time, that part of it has been okay. The like misery of not getting to see family, of not getting to touch people um, or to kind of have that intimacy with with people. That's the hard part. We've um, talked a lot about books on this podcast in general, but particularly during this time and the kind of value that they've played for us. What books have you found yourself turning to, either to be sort of transported, but also for guidance during this time? I actually read my first Ishigura book this year. I read The Remains of the Day, and it's so good. I know it's weird to be like, many, many decades late to a book and like proselytizing about it when everybody else has already read it. But I just loved it so much. And it's a first person narrator who is unreliable, but unreliable because he does not know himself, which I just found so beautiful and really moving and like aspirational and thinking about things that I might do in the future in my writing. And so that was nice. I've been trying, I, I haven't been reading a lot of literature that sticks closely to what's going on right now. I don't feel ready to try to process it in that way, though I did read Intimations, um, Zadie Smith's essay collection that she wrote during the pandemic and how, in God's name, she wrote an entire book during this time. I'm, I do not know, um, but I found that to be really nice just as a project idea to kind of capture your, your micro feelings around this moment. I was interested in that. But for the most part, I've just been reading fiction um, and fiction that is as transporting, as different from what is going on right now as possible. I know a lot of people were like watching Contagion or reading Station Eleven. Like I did not want to do any of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mentioned unreliable narrators. And I'm interested to know whether in Transcendent Kingdom, whether you think that Gifty is a reliable or an unreliable narrator. Oh, that's a good question. I think Gifty is reliable when it comes to almost anything other than herself and how she's feeling about the things that happened to her as a child. I think anytime anyone in her life asks her a personal question, asks her to kind of approach her childhood um, in a way that centers herself or her own experiences, she really bristles and pushes them away. But I think, you know, she's reliable on science. She's reliable on, you know, she's reliable about so many things. And I think that kind of reliability is really important to her. Um, But she often contradicts herself. 
particularly when it comes to talking about why she feels the things that she feels, why she wants to do the things that she wants to do. And in that way, I find her unreliable. This is a totally, I feel like maybe a random question, but maybe not since we're talking about, (laughs) we've been talking a lot about research, but how much did you learn about neuroscience when you were writing this book? (laughs) Um, The the like lazy answer to that is enough. Like I I just learned (laughs) enough to write a book um, where a character is doing this kind of research, but not enough to speak at length about any of the topics that are covered. My best friend from Alabama is a neuroscientist and she does this um, type of research on the neural pathways of reward-seeking behavior. And you know, it's interesting. We've been friends for so long and she's a big reader and she loves literature. And she was so hype for me when Homegoing came out. And around that time, she had like a a major paper coming out that I asked her to send me. And I like sat down to read it and couldn't understand anything. Like I couldn't even get through the first paragraph. And I thought how crazy that she can support me on this level of this kind of intimate level and I can't, I have no access to her professional life. Um, And so I asked if I could go shadow her in her lab and I did and the day that I went, she was doing this surgery that I describe in the early pages of the book. And I just found it so fascinating and found the way that she talked about her work so fascinating and also found that there was like a particular pleasure in seeing someone you love in a context that's completely different than the one that you know them in. Like, she's like this total badass at work and I never get to see that part of her. Um, and so I think that was part of, of why I wanted to to write about a woman who, who did this kind of work. Science is a huge presence in the book and so is faith and religion. Did both of those themes arrive at the same time or did one prompt the other? They both arrived at the same time. And I think it had to do with the fact that I was trying to like meld these two ideas that I had. The first was to write about a woman who did the kind of research that my friend does um, on addiction and depression. But then the second was that story that I mentioned earlier, which was about a Gerard Manley Hopkins scholar whose deeply uh, religious mother comes to stay with her. And so I liked the idea of having just like an incredibly intellectual academic person who has developed a different belief system than the one that she grew up in, having to encounter a character, in this case, the mother, who still holds really, really fast to the belief system, the religion of of her childhood. And so it was really at the very beginning, it was it was both the science and the religion. Obviously, you have a very highly anticipated book of the end of summer, fall, whatever season we're in now. Um, Looking forward to the rest of the year, are there any new releases that you cannot wait to get your hands on? Yeah, it just came out in August. I haven't read it yet, but Luster by Raven Leilani, I'm really excited for. I also just picked up uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, who is a complete and utter genius, so I will read anything she writes ever. I'm also really, really excited for Eula Biss's new book, which I think comes out on September 1st as well, and it's called Having and Being Had, um, and I think it deals with kind of capitalism and America, um, so I think another book that I 
that is timely and that I will really look forward to. I feel like all I see on Instagram Goodreads is Lustar at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely everywhere. I cannot wait to read it. Yeah. Having a book coming out usually means going on a book tour. What are some of the places that maybe you can't get to now that you're very excited to travel to once you can? I would love to go back to Huntsville. Um, I haven't seen my parents since May of 2019, which is kind of crazy. So that would have been nice to have gotten the opportunity to do that during the tour, but I can't. Um, A bookstore that I love and where the people who work there have been really supportive of me is Parnassus in Nashville. And Nashville is just a place that I love a lot. Um, It's only about two hours north of Huntsville. So it's like the major city that my friends and I would go to for just like a fun weekend. Um, So I am sad that I won't get to go to Parnassus and to Nashville, but I hope to once we're moving around again. I also, I really miss the opportunity to promote the book in the other countries that are publishing it. Um, It came out in France just last week and I missed all of that. So that's been a little bit of a bummer, but I'm excited for the book um, to have a life there. Um, I second that Parnassus is the the best. Other than the places that you've just mentioned, um, (laughs) is there anywhere that you are like really dreaming of traveling or that you want to plan a trip to right now or for the future, you know, like after. Yeah. In the mysterious after, um, the elusive after. Um, yeah, I've, I've never been to Asia and I've always wanted to go. And I have a friend who goes to Japan every year and I, every year I get just ridiculously envious and have never managed to go. So that's been on my list for quite some time. I've also, I, I've never been to Mexico. I've wanted to go. And one of my really good friends lives in Mexico City. She moved there in 2018 um, and I miss her dearly and I'm trying to convince her to come back, but who would want to come back here um, at this present moment? So I'm not succeeding, um, which means that I should go visit her. So um, those are those are my two places. Well, I hope that we can all get to Mexico and Tokyo (laughs) soon enough. Um, But in the meantime, can you let people know where they can find you on social media and where they can pick up a copy of Transcendent Kingdom? Sure. Um, You can find me on Facebook, just under my name, Yaa Jesse, And you can pick up the book Transcendent Kingdom at a local indie starting on September 1st. Amazing. I am at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah. Uh, be sure to follow Ya, pick up both of her books because they are absolutely wonderful. Follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter. And with that, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. 
Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. 